as Troy mentioned a minute ago, uh, my name is Johnny Eubanks. I am not typically who you'd see up here. Every once in a while, I do fill in. Um, a couple of months ago, Troy reached out and said, hey, could you possibly fill in one of the first two Sundays in October? And I said, sure, no problem. He sent the text, and obviously I didn't think about it very much again. And then something crazy happened. I don't know if you guys realize this, but the month of August happened. We finished summer. Kids started back to school, and then September just didn't exist. Okay, it lasted for like two and a half hours. And somehow we made it to last week, and I was this close to texting Troy. We were sitting in church, and I was this close to texting and just being like, hey, man. Is that second date still available? It would be great to have a little more time. And then I remembered what the text for next week is. Spoiler alert, it's the Ten Commandments. Um, Ten Commandments are great. Uh, The only problem is the Ten Commandments were received on Mount Sinai. And I remember there is a very um, unflattering picture of myself the last time I was on a mountain. Um, We have it, actually. Um, In case you can't tell by the background, that is uh, the ride formerly known as Splash Mountain. Um, Some people in my family uh, appear to be thrilled by what's going on, and clearly I have accepted that we are facing our certain doom and death (laughs) as we plummet down this mountain. Uh, So I realized, you know what, instead of me talking about going up the mountain and, you know, embarrassing myself, why don't we stick with what we got? So... I decided to stick with what we got. Troy will be back next week, and, and I'm actually really excited about the text we're in today. Um, as we continue through our journey in Exodus, we are going to wrap up chapter 17, and then we're going to go through chapter 18. Uh, and there's really two major stories going on here, okay? And before we jump in, I want to take just a quick moment to recap a little bit of where we were last week, because I think it's going to set up an idea that, that's going to continue with where we are in 17, Okay. So if you think back to last week, we had this back-and-forth relationship with Israel and the Lord. Uh, there's this grumbling, there's this moaning, there's complaining. They don't have water, or the water doesn't taste good. So Moses throws a stick in the water, and it tastes better. Uh, they don't have food, and they complain about what kind of food. right? And in each and every point, we see that the Lord is gracious to meet their needs, to provide for them. And so we're building this idea that Israel is completely dependent on the Lord in all things, even the smallest things, the most basic things, right? Completely dependent on the Lord and at the same time really just undeserving of this grace that's been given, okay? So that's where we are. That's really what we've set up with how Israel's relating to the, to the Lord. And it's going to continue here In chapter 17, we're going to pick up with verse 8. Let's read it together. It should be on the screen. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I'll stand at the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek, while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. Whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary. So listen to this. They took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. While Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and one on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. 
And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, The Lord is my banner, saying, A hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. So, what is going on here? Um, In case you haven't grown accustomed to bizarre stories throughout, really, Genesis and Exodus, we have yet another one here. Um, You know, I don't think it's a stretch to assume that at this point, Israel's been wandering in the desert, struggling to find food and water. The Lord even has to meet those needs. I doubt they've been training for war. Uh, I doubt they've been readying themselves for battle, but nonetheless, that's where they find themselves. Amalek comes to fight, and so Moses says, Hey, Joshua, get some men, go out and fight. Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to take the staff of the Lord, I'm going to hold it up. All right, I'm going to sit on the hill and hold it up, we're going to prevail. And I can't help but think um, if anybody had gone to any Alabama game within the last, I don't know, four or five years. There's a point where one of the coaches who was very loud, uh, you know, the fourth quarter would come around and what everybody would do, right? Hold that fourth quarter up. That's right. I see some fourth quarters up there, right? And um, I'm sure we could relate to, to Moses here, his arms getting tired, because, you know, if you were like me, you thought, hey, we're going to dominate this fourth quarter because I'm going to keep all four fingers raised. And then by the first media timeout, you know, I'm, I'm down like this, right? So Moses is seeing the same thing, and, and, I, and it's silly, um, you know, and we do that, we talk about things like that, and it's almost superstitious, right? Some of you guys taking it a little too serious, uh, getting a little crazy with it. But nonetheless, it's superstitious, and it's fun to think about. And I don't want to m- make any mistake here that the staff and how God is using the staff, this isn't superstition. Um, Moses is not just lifting up the staff to rally the troops and encourage them make them feel better, but, but this is how God is using a tangible way to show and remind Israel just how needy and dependent they are on him. And not just Moses, not their own strength, but in every aspect. This is again pointing to this idea of how needy they are on him. And so I ask myself, you know, why let it play out this way? Right? God could have easily said to Moses, hey, these people are coming to attack us. Joshua gets some men. God's going to give you superpower strength. Go out and take them out. But that's not what happened. I think the Lord gives us this as yet another reminder, just like the wandering into the desert, just like Israel's going all the way back to Egypt, their inability to free themselves from slavery, their inability to protect themselves, provide for themselves. Now here, their inability to sustain life. This is yet another picture of their complete and utter dependence on the Lord, as we're going to talk about a little bit later, this is absolutely our spiritual story before the Lord. This is who we are before the Lord. And so I think that's why it plays out that that way. As the story wraps up, I love this part. God tells Moses, hey, write down what happened. Write this down. And not just write it down. Make a monument. Come back to it. Revisit it. Recite it over and over and over. Why do you think he did that? Why do you think he told him to do that? Well, you know, I think it, it 
all of us at some point have been guilty of the, uh, you know, the fish story. Every time we tell a story, it gets embellished a little bit, you know. And whether it might not be a fish story, but I know you're probably guilty of this, and I am too. As time goes on and we recount a past event, we have this tendency to sometimes embellish the ways that make us look good and maybe shy away from the things that don't make us look good. And in this moment, it could be tempting to years later tell the story about the heroic warriors of Joshua that won this battle or how the great Moses kept his arms raised and was so faithful. But that's not what happened. Yes, did they faithfully serve? Absolutely. But their, their strength was not sufficient. And they were completely dependent on the Lord. And for their good and for our good, we're given this instruction to revisit this, write this down, come back to it. Don't forget who you are, who the Lord is, and how much you need Him. Right? So the story keeps going. Um, about to pick up in chapter 18. Actually, uh, I don't think I've, I've maybe read this story with Moses and his father-in-law as in-depthly as I have over the last couple of weeks. And maybe it's my new favorite story uh, for a couple of reasons. One, um, as you've picked up, um, there are a lot of names here that are just hard to pronounce. Uh, but thankfully... Moses' father-in-law is named Jethro, and being from Alabama, I got that one, okay? I got it. I appreciate that. Appreciate that. But more than that, I love his story, okay? And we're going to read it together, and as we get into it, I want you to think about just the story of a new believer, the story of the life of a believer. Maybe you can identify with this. Maybe you can relate to this as you think back to the first time when your eyes were opened and your heart was awakened, right? what the aftermath was, what followed, okay? So I think that's what's going on here. Let's look at it together. Let's pick up in uh, chapter 18, verse 1. We're going to read down to uh, verse 12, all right? Now Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard all that God had done before Moses and for Israel his people, how the Lord brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro... Moses' father-in-law had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, and he had sent her home, along with her two sons. The name of one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And the name of the other, Eliezer, for he said, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. So Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came in with his sons and wife to Moses in the wilderness where he had encamped at the mountain of God. And he sent word to Moses... I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming with your wife and her two sons with her. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law, bowed down, and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and went in the tent. And I, I want to keep going, but just real quick, I can't, I can't help but wonder like, what this little section of the conversation was. And I almost get the idea, you know, when you come into church and someone's like, Hey, how you doing? And there's that temptation to be really honest, and you'll be like, well... I'm wearing different color socks and I spanked one of my kids on the way. You know, like, I wonder if Moses is like, actually, let me tell you, we just won a battle because I kept raising the stick in there because God told me to. It was crazy and I got tired and they sat me on a rock. You know, like, I wonder if he went that deep, but, you know, maybe not. I do know, though, 
Moses tells him all about the goodness of God. Let's keep going. Verse 8. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake. All the hardship that had come upon them in the way and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel and that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Jethro said, listen to this, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods. Because of this affair, they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. So what's going on here? I think this story with Jethro is maybe the coolest picture of seeing the gospel, if nothing else, just the good news of who God is, what he's done for us, how he relates to us. That word goes out, he receives it, it takes heart, and then seeing what happens next, right? And we know he hears the good, good news of who God is, what he's done, because the text tells us. Moses tells Jethro everything that happened in Egypt, right? So if we go back to Egypt, what's he going to hear about? They were enslaved. He's going to hear about the miracles. He's going to hear about the plagues. And then he's going to hear about the Passover. And he's going to be introduced to this idea of the problem of sin and God's quickness to redeem through the sacrifice that was offered, right? The Passover. Jethro hears this, he receives this, and he says, Okay, there is no other God. This is the one true God. He responds in joy and thanksgiving. And if you can think back, believer in this room, if you can think back to the first time, you know, Scripture paints this picture that in our sins uh, that we have a heart of stone or that we're blind. If you can remember for the first time when you heard about trading your sin for the righteousness of Christ, that in Christ's perfect work, death, and burial, the wrath of God was satisfied that was meant for you, but instead you receive his righteousness. When you remember that for the first time, can you see yourself in Jethro here? Do you remember the moment when you just you couldn't help but respond in joy and thanksgiving? You couldn't help but rejoice. You had to make this statement, hey, the Lord is true. There is one God, and I've experienced Him. I've tasted and seen, and He is good. For some of you, this has been baptism. That's what this moment is, right? You hear, you receive, you trust, you have new life, and then you come before the church. You say just what Jethro did right here, a statement of faith. I profess. I want for all to see. I'm saying before you, right, the life of the believer. The good word goes out. The gospel is received. And this is the life of the believer. But it doesn't stop there. Jethro receives, he hears, he rejoices, he blesses the Lord. And then right after that, he gathers the elders and he said, hey, we got to stop what we're doing right now. We're making some sacrifices and we are going to worship the Lord. Believer, again, I ask you, think back when you first tasted and saw that the Lord was good, Right? Those are the moments where you're singing in the car, you're singing in the shower. You understand what it means to pray without ceasing because your mind is just so overwhelmed 
with thanksgiving for what God has done for you. You can't help but respond in worship. And so I ask, and I want to come back to this, if you can't see yourself in this picture, where are you? Where are you in this life cycle uh, of the gospel proclamation? I want you to hang on to that. I want you to chew through that because we're going to come back to it, okay? Because as we continue in Jethro's story, it doesn't stop here. He hears the gospel, recognizes his need for, for the good news of this story. He responds in worship, blesses the Lord. He makes a profession of faith. He responds in worship with the elders. They fellowship together. And then what's his next step? Right after that, we see his encounter with the church, with God's community. It's the natural next progression of the life of the believer. Let's look at it together. We will pick up verse 13. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people. The people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw that he he was doing um, for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me. I decide between one person and another, and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you're doing is not good. You and the people will certainly wear yourselves out. For the thing is too heavy for you. You're not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice and God will be with you. Or God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. And you shall warn them about the statutes and laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men. Of all the people who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over, uh, over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and tens, and let them judge people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you, and you'll be able to endure. And all this people also will go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he said. Moses chose able men out of Israel and made them heads over the people and chiefs over thousands of hundreds of fifties and tens. And they judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided to themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart and he went away to his own country. So what do we have here? I think this is just a a continuation of this gospel life cycle. Uh, And I was trying to describe it, right? Jethro's experienced and tasted who the Lord is, professed faith. And the very next step, he looks out and he sees the community and he realizes, hey, just as I'm dependent on the Lord, just as I'm as dependent on hearing this good news and what he's done for me, hey, He's working in this community, and I'm, I'm to be a part of this as well. And I think it's really neat that as Jethro jumps in, there's, there's a humility both in how 
He's giving and both in the receiving of Moses. And, and, and I want to I ask you this. You know, I've asked a couple of questions. Hey, why did the Lord let this play out? Why did the Lord let this play out in this way? You know, with the stories to this point, with Amalek. Think about this. The Lord up until this point has related to Moses probably different than most all other people in Scripture. Right? He's appeared to him in a burning bush. He's audibly spoken to him. He's given him specific instructions, detailed instructions. Go to Pharaoh. Tell him this. Go to Pharaoh and do this. Go to, his, go to my people. Tell them I haven't forgotten them. Specific words that he's given him. For years and years and years, God's meeting with him in a very special and specific way. But do you find it interesting that in all those specific encounters with the Lord, God never told Moses, just practically, hey, so you don't get burnt out. It would make sense when you rule over the people if you just set it up this way. But instead, the Lord saved that encounter for Jethro and Moses. Right? Why did he do that? Well, I think for one thing, one reason, one thing, it brought him honor and glory to do so. Because he still operates in that way, right? He's still using so many people in this local body in unique ways, special ways. And so I think the take-home for us, the application for us is, are we ready? If you, have, if you can identify with Jethro and you see where you are in this gospel life cycle and you're ready to serve the church and see the need of the church, um, like Jethro, are you ready to approach in humility, to not be, uh, have your name lifted high and put in lights. But show concern for the body. Meet whatever need that may be. And then guess what? When, after Jethro has this encounter with Moses, you know what happens next? We don't really know. Because he's not mentioned again. And he was okay with that. Again, responding in humility. Serving the church in love and humility. So as we think about this text we have here, these two main thoughts of what's going on, um, seeing this continued relationship of how Israel relates to the Lord and what that relationship means for us, what we learn from that, and then we see this life cycle of the believer in Jethro, what do we walk away with? Well, I mentioned it before, and I hope... I hope that as we read through Exodus and we're seeing just every single way in which Israel is completely dependent on the Lord, every time that he blesses them, they are completely undeserving, they're completely helpless, they're completely incapable of doing anything good on their own. I hope that you see this is who we are as we relate to the Lord spiritually. Do you see that? I think it's for our good. Just like Israel needed to be freed from captivity, they couldn't do it on their own. We need freedom from the captivity of sin. We cannot do that on on our own. Just like they needed God's continued love and provision and sustaining power, 
that's the story of the believer as well. God relating to Israel in this way, this is our story spiritually. I hope you see that. And next, as you see that, and we cognitively take that in, I hope we take time to remember. I think there's a reason why Moses is given the instruction. Hey, don't just write this down. Don't just make a monument. Don't just recite this over and over. I want you to do all of that. Why? Because we constantly need that reminder. We need to be told again and again and again who God is, what he has done for us, and exactly who we are in that story. Because we are quick to forget. Quick to forget. And as we remember and we, we remind ourselves of that story of who God is and what he's done, I want to ask you this. As we looked at the, the story of Jethro, do you see yourself in his, in his story? Where do you fit in in that? For some of you, you may be a new believer and you're like, man, that is me. I see myself in that. I can't help but respond with worship. I'm constantly thankful. I'm rejoicing in all things because the gospel is new and fresh. And I remember what Jesus has done on my behalf. And I can't wait to get here and share in communion. If you're a new believer and that's where you are, you know what I say to you? That's a grace and a gift. Be thankful for it. Continue to worship in it. But some of you, you might say, hey, um... There was a time when I remember that, but for whatever reason, I'm not there. Instead, unfortunately, instead of seeing Jethro's response here in 18, maybe you identify a little bit more with Israel's response in 17 that we talked about last week. You find yourself just kind of in this back and forth of grumbling and complaining. Maybe you're wrestling with a sin that just, it's there, it's frustrating. Maybe you're wrestling with fear or doubt or worry. And so, just like we talked about before, I think the answer for you, for me, is to remember. Remember your first love. Remember that time you were first excited when you, and you could feel yourself in that moment saying, hey, I have new life because of what Christ has done. I can't help but respond in worship. Go back to that moment. Every day in your prayer life, remember. And whether for the first time or new or old, I pray that we don't stop there and neglect the body and what God's doing. But as we remember what God has done, we ask for him to search our hearts, see where we are. I pray the overflow of that will be not only worship, not only blessing the Lord, but also a desire to serve his body in humility. You know, I was thinking earlier this week, um, if we're going to talk about 
hey, God's calling us to remember. What are, what are we called to remember? What is it that we should even think about? Um, earlier this week, I had a chance to um, meet with some people and pray for a little while. Um, which, quick side note, if you're, if you're not meeting in some kind of community group, if you're not plugged in, you weren't designed to do this alone. I wasn't even planning on talking about that, but don't miss out on God's church and community. He's moving and he's working and it's good. Don't miss that. Anyway, back to where we were. I had a chance to meet with some people earlier this week. We were praying. It was so good for my heart. And um, somebody read this text over us. And I just, as we close, I want to read this. So for the new believer who says, hey, man, I I identify with Jethro. I'm there. I'm excited. I can't wait to take communion. I'm ready to worship. Or for someone who's like me and your brain feels scattered. Look, I would love for everything to have been neat and put together. But these are my notes. They are handwritten and messy. My brain is crazy. And I'm tired. Um, But I can certainly remember the beauty and the truth of the gospel. And I long to be reminded and have that moment where I remember what Christ has done on, my, on behalf, on my behalf. I want that to be the, the spring that wells forth worship, serving his church. If you can identify with me, then to hear these words. And for the unbeliever, this just doesn't make sense. And I get it. But I can tell you this, there is hope. There is hope for life right now. There is hope for life eternal. And it is not in you. It's not in you. It is only in the perfect, complete work of what Christ has done on your behalf. So I ask you today, if you hear that word, and the Lord's drawing you, let today be the day of salvation. So for both the believer and unbeliever, let's hear these words. Let's prepare our hearts. Let's continue in worship. This is from Romans 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Amen, church? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Amen. Just let this be the statement for us today. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Man. Man, you can come on back up. We're going to pray. And we're going to continue in worship. God, thank you for this text. 
Lord, thank you for the reminder and the picture um, that just like Israel, we are completely and in every way dependent on you. Just like Israel couldn't free themselves from the bondage of slavery, we too are in desperate need of your work on our behalf, namely that work through your son, Jesus. God, for the believers, I pray that that message has been sent out, that hearts rejoice in receiving it, and that we respond in worship as we come to the table. And for the unbeliever, Lord, I pray that today is the day of salvation. Jesus, your name is great, and it is the only reason we can do anything. We can meet, we can gather, pray, and respond. So I pray that you are honored and glorified as we lift your name high. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Let's continue.